Are you an adult? Yeah. And it's Halloween? Yeah. Introducing Halloween as an adult. What's that? Halloween as a kid was the best. But you're an adult now and things are kind of different. What do you mean? With Halloween as an adult, you can go to a party in a shitty last minute costume. I... Awkwardly sip your drink in the corner. Remember what it was like to be a kid with joy. Buy a jumbo package of candy even though you live alone. As a kid, I loved going to school dressed up and then trick-or-treating all night, but now I have work tomorrow and my rent is due. Try it today. What the hell is that? Stone on Air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on Air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on Air coming up. Stone on Air. Uh, every year, I hate Halloween more, and every year, adults like it more. It, it's the exact same every year. Holy hell, am I glad that's over. That's social media nightmare. The constant photo dumps, some constant different parties and different costumes. Oh my God. It's finally over. Welcome November, and welcome in to the Stone on Air Podcast. And this really is a generational thing. It absolutely is. My parents, the boomers, young boomers, but boomers nonetheless, did not dress up for Halloween very often. I remember there was one time in particular because there was pictures. And my mom and, uh, well, I don't know if my dad did or not, but my mom certainly did, kept scrapbooks. Kind of got that from her as I uh, grew up older, and then now online is all of our scrapbooks. But I've seen pictures of them dressed up when they were quite young, like once or twice. And then I remember a couple different Halloweens as kids when maybe they would put something on. But generally speaking, my my mother and my father did not dress up for Halloween as adults, even when they took the kids out for traditional Halloween trick-or-treating and good for them if the boomers did anything right it was that they didn't dress up in halloween costumes as adults all right enough on that as we are now officially into november the third of the month if you are listening on the day that this drops as they say and that would be each and every thursday that is always the goal and so far has been pretty consistent for quite some time my name is brian thank you for being here at stone on air on all social media another very very well thought out show and prepared show today that doesn't mean it's any good but it means there's a lot to get to and i want to try to fit in as coherently and cohesively as possible i'll bounce around as always here in the open it is uh it's election week you know it's the election calendar week by the next time you hear from me there'll be some very likely very big changes in the American political landscape, some for good, some for bad. But as always, every two years, the biggest election of all time. No, it's just another election. They're all important. They're all worth keeping an eye on. And so this will be a pretty political heavy second and third portion of the show. And there might be a few times I take the gloves off, depending on if I get into this emotionally or not. When I Sometimes when I plan things, I think, oh, I'm going to get all irritated once I go down this road. And then sometimes my mood changes. You know, shocking anybody, my mood changes pretty drastically, pretty frequently. So we'll see where it goes. So far, so good in the uh, as far as where I'm feeling 
as record times around 9 o'clock on Wednesday the 2nd. The second segment of the show, I've got four, uh, five pieces of audio. I was going to do this on the front end. I just changed it earlier today, a few hours ago. It's from Keith Olbermann. I've warned you in advance. You're going to hear a little bit from his show because I listen to it every day and I love him. And I think you'll agree with it. If you're preconditioned to hate the man, you're not going to like it either way. So I get that. But um, just talking about the uh, the atmosphere of information distribution and what is currently ruining us as a society, nothing you didn't already really know, just listening to it from a different person. That'll be in the second half of the second segment. And I'm going to give you the history of the midterms. And the history doesn't lie. And it doesn't always repeat itself, but it more often times than not that it does. And in the third segment of the show, just my political commentary on where we're at right now. And it'll likely be, the plan is, the last any kind of political commentary you'll hear from me again until, I don't know, 2024. If I'm still alive, if I'm still around, if my heart hadn't given out by then, if my blood pressure doesn't kill me by next week, we'll, um, we'll see how it goes. So you've been warned. If that's not your thing, you want to get gone, that's totally cool. So I did quickly today to get put together the realest thing, the worst idea, and the coolest thing, all simple things that mean absolutely nothing. And the coolest thing will be another one of the drum beats. Can you guess who it is? So let's start here with the random notes itself to open things up. I went to Knoxville over the weekend for Kentucky uh, UT for the Vols in Kentucky and went to uh, what they call. I guess I knew it was there because I'd seen it in my periphery before, but I didn't know it had an actual name. Circle Park. It is uh, just right outside the stadium. It's just basically a big parking lot. That is completely taken over by like circus tent style size tailgate parties. And I don't mean like big red and white circus tents. I just mean, the, you know, the big white, you know, like event space, wedding space kind of uh, of tents. And they appeared to be all completely corporately bought and paid for, which was a beautiful thing. And I could spend a lot of time on this, but I, I'll make it super quick. My company has one of these tents there and I. I actually would say it's probably the smallest, most humble one. My company, meaning Miller Coors uh, Cherokee Distributing. So that was already a free ride, and I already knew about that. But then I ran into some uh, some other friends that had some corporate tailgates put together that had like bartenders at them, and there was like there was no money exchanging hands, there was no IDs, there was no wristbands or any kind of identification uh, markers on you of any kind to show that you're supposed to be here. And of course, everybody in Knoxville is just on cloud nine, high of energy of this, um, you know, this team. And I didn't go to the game. I had every opportunity to go. I turned down free tickets uh, basically on the front row. I kind of wish I went now, but it didn't really matter. I just hung out at these continued tailgates outside of uh, Circle Park throughout the game where the, all the TVs were still on in every single one of them. And the World Series was on in many of them. The Vols game was on in many of them. And Everybody just goes on in and leaves and all the coolers are still full of drinks and all the liquor bottles are still out and all the food that didn't get eaten is still sitting around. And while I guess technically I wasn't supposed to be helping myself, I did anyway. And nobody cared because it was not on anybody's dime involved. It was uh, very impressive. I enjoyed it very much. And I, for the first time as an adult, as a you know grown-ass adult, and when I was in my early to mid-20s, I was still paying attention to Vols football a lot, but as a real solidified adult for the first time, I'm watching this team, and I'm, I'm enjoying watching them play. I really, really am. I, I still laugh when Vols fans cry, so if they were to lose to Georgia this weekend, it wouldn't bother me, but I'm, I've never pulled for Georgia to win a football game before. So this, this weekend is a, a, a prized heavy fa- heavyweight fight, and I am a very much 
looking forward to that. One little anecdotal footnote from when I left Sunday morning to come home to lay around and do nothing all day and watch the Titans. Um, I stopped at one of these travel centers. I'm sure it was a Flying J or something like that. And it had three different fast food joints in it. Whichever one. Popeyes, something or other, maybe Subway, Burger King, whatever. And I went in. I just wanted a biscuit. It was like 930 in the morning. And I was just like, I you know, I didn't care what it was as long as it was food. I hadn't eaten in a, quite some time. And we were up kind of late that night. And uh, I got a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. And the woman said, uh, oh, yeah, wait, it's uh, two for $4. I thought, okay, well, thanks, but I don't need two. One is just fine. And thank you. And she ring, she goes, okay, that'll be $5.39. I was like, wait a second. How does the promotion jump so so swiftly? And I was so kind of hungoverly tired and just ready to be home. If I was in a more uh, focused state, I would have said, well, just ring me up two and give one to a homeless person or something. What are we doing here? Two for four or one for five and a half? Is that normally how that works? I don't even really know. That was just a little anecdotal note to self. Uh, let's see. So I, I, I don't have a lot of time here, so I got to move quick. I looked at my investments the other day. Long-winded reason as to why my IRA through Charles Schwab account, which I have only had internet access to recently, but the account has been open for many, many years, and it's managed by the old Let's Talk Money uh, gang, Evergreen, and managed means they just set it up and the money would come out of my account, and I have never looked at it. And as we're looking at the midterms and where people vote often with where their wallet is, I don't generally do that, but it is worth taking a look. I noticed some of the losses that I have taken in the last, well, upwards of two years, and it was startling to me. Not a lot of money in here, you know. It's not I'm not in six figures, but I'm in the middle of that roughly. And from August 16th to just two days ago, my account has lost $4,600. And I was like, whoa, holy hell, I can't be sitting around losing four or $5,000. What? Keep in mind, I have this account now actually maybe upwards of 10 years when it was hooked together with a, a, a 401k through my old work. Now it's independently run. So then I looked, okay, well, let's just go a little further back. Let's go all the way to January 4th, where it tops out of the last year. I'm down $9,400. Almost $10,000 I have lost in this account from the beginning of this year to two days ago. I don't live in a world where losing $10,000 is something you just kind of, you know, sneeze at and move along. This is why they say don't look at it. It'll drive you crazy. Well, then I went further back. I couldn't figure out how to go further than two years back. So I went back to November 2020. Obviously a pretty volatile year. Certainly earlier in that year. Then it rebounded. Then it fell again once in November the elections came around. My account was down two years ago in November. So right at, yeah, exactly two, two years ago, it was down almost $16,000 from where it's at today. And it's down from this year. Oh, Jesus. If I saw that in November, I might've jumped off a bridge. Like that, that it was at a staggering low number. And I know this is how this works and I get it, but I just, I don't, I don't. I haven't tortured myself by looking at it. And again, that's what they tell you to do. But so then I started going through all the little metrics and measurements they have through the Charles Schwab account of, of, of how you, what you need to, 
to be able to retire and all these different numbers. And then all the way at the end comes up with, I'm at a 1% on the confidence zone. Too much uncertainty for your age. Not enough protection protection against future stocks. And they run your scenario through a thousand trials. And virtually every one of these thousand trials on this graph falls off a cliff around 2045, maxing out at about a half a million and crashing before 2060 when I need, um, what would I be? No, 2042 is when I would be, or 2045 is when I'd be hoping to take retirement. I'm sure it'll be later than that. But all of these fall crashing down right about the time that I needed to be there. Only one of them maxes out at almost a, half, a million and a half dollars and keeps pace. One of the other 999 that all crashed and burn, a couple of them topping out around 2050 at around a million. I, I, I can't even imagine how accurate this could possibly be. I know that there's science behind it, but I am in not very good shape to be retiring. And I know it's all scare tactics in the political landscape right now, but the Republicans are going to cut Social Security. I don't understand in any world how that could be something that anybody could ever do and why anybody would ever vote for somebody who ever decided, like knowingly went out of their way to say we are cutting Social Security. That is not a welfare welfare program. That is money that you have paid in, you and me and all of us. That is our money. We put it there. Would that not be political suicide? for the Republicans to tell their constituents, whether the Democrats or Republicans, that what we're going to do is we're not going to give you the money that you've been paying in your whole life. That's got to be just a scare tactic, right? I mean, I'm asking the question rhetorically and legitimately because I don't just, I don't follow the deep seated potential of what all these uh, political parties might or might not do. I just can't imagine that's something that would ever happen. And I just won't, I just don't want to believe it couple of things here before I get to these uh, this audio. Weston Womp, once again in the headlines. Dudes, just make sure it happens no matter what. Something with the, the city uh, attorney, and then there's a vetoes that have been kicked out by the commission. This Weston Womp, as I always say, is exactly who I thought he was, and I believe that he thinks that politics is supposed to be adversarial. It's supposed to be antagonistic. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what it feels like. And my God, I, I really regret voting for the dude. And then Elon Musk. Okay, he bought Twitter. Why does anybody care for a split second who owns Twitter? Who cares who owns a social media that virtually nobody uses? It is screaming into the darkness, into the it's screaming in the wilderness when you're on Twitter. I still enjoy it to a certain degree for informational purposes. Does anybody truly, truly care about this? I think the answer to my question is very much no, they don't. So let's do this real quick and then we'll shift gears. Starting today off with, on the audio pieces, the realest thing. This is perfect. If night owls, you know, people who stay up late and sleep in, like myself, talk to other people the way that quote unquote morning people do, this is what it would sound like. You going to bed already? It's only... 11 o'clock. Ugh, it's so early. What time did you wake up today? Six? Ugh, I woke up at 10. You should have slept in. I just feel like I get so much more done after everyone goes to bed. While the whole world is sleeping, I'm still living. I just love watching the sunset during lunch, you know? I just don't understand why people go to bed so early and then wake up so early. 
I feel like my whole day is wasted if I go to bed before like 2 a.m. That's so true for me and so many others. And speaking of watching the sunset at lunch, that's what we're about to get when the goddamn time changes again. And I'm done with my annual, you know, for now anyway, rant on that. I'm just, I'm, I'm out of energy on that. But yeah, here we go with the idiocy that is falling the clocks backwards. This is dude, uh, what's his name, Corden? He's got, he's got the Late Late Show on CBS. Is it Jim Corden? Why am I blanking on that? Anyway, he's a, a British guy hosting a not very funny show who has g- been caught red-handed stealing a uh, Ricky Gervais joke. And uh, here's the, the back to the, the mirrored version of it from uh, social media. I believe it was from TikTok. It was on Twitter as well. Um, uh, more thoughts on this in a second. This is today's worst idea. If someone puts up a poster in a town square that says guitar lessons available. That's like going into a town square, seeing a big notice board, and there's a notice guitar lessons. Like you don't get people in the town go, I don't want to play the guitar. <laughs> and you go, but I don't fucking want guitar lessons. <laughs> I mean, that sign wasn't for you. It was for somebody else. You don't have to get mad about all of it. Fine, it's not for you then, just walk away. I've heard this joke from Ricky Gervais, who's one of my favorite comedians, or just really philosophers is what I consider more than an actual funny haha comedian. Um, but that's straight up that that joke was stolen almost word for word for word from a fellow countryman. Now I don't know if they're both from the same areas uh, of, of the UK, but they're certainly somewhat close. And this is the kind of stuff I'm seeing on TikTok, and and even worse now. On Instagram Reels, it is it is actually pretty pathetic. It's embarrassing for the most part as well that trends are just becoming copycats, and you're seeing the same like that that yellow Ledbetter thing with the and making fun of how that song is a mumbling sounding song, which is a almost thirty year old song that's been made fun of for its mumbling for the entire thirty years, and then somebody picked up on this trend in the last year and a half, and it's just ad nauseum over and over. Yeah, yeah, we get it. You've copied somebody else's idea. Inauthenticity is just one of the worst things in the world. And the final one here as I wrap up the open segment here is the coolest thing, the dude from TikTok and the drum beat. I will start it right now, and I'm I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't get it. I went through the whole thing. It doesn't change. It's missing the bass line for me. I think that's where I would have maybe gotten it. But with just the drum beat, I didn't get it. Just I'll give you the very beginning, too, so you can hear that again. That's the part right there. I should have given it away. A couple more seconds, and yes, of course, Fleetwood Mac's Dreams. So there you go. There's the open of this week's show. It's getting all political up in here for the rest of the way. I hope that is okay with you. The history of the midterms and uh, some audio from Keith Olbermann coming up next. Back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. StoneOnAir.com. Midterm election day is just about a week away, and wouldn't you like to know which party will control the House and the Senate? Look, no one can actually tell you that answer right now, but what we can do is look back at history and see how other presidents have fared in their first and second midterms. Let me give you a little hint. There's a pattern. 
A midterm election is usually a referendum on the president in his first two years in office, and it's really common for the party in control to lose power after a midterm. President Biden's approval numbers right now are not great. And if you look back in most recent cases, you'll see those numbers directly impact midterms. Of course, the president's approval numbers are not the only factor in a midterm election, but they seem to be at least a fairly good indicator of final outcome. I say the uh, midterm elections are also a referendum on the electorate, on the dumbassness of the population, the overreactionary population. How just stupid of a, of a people we are. Oh my God, I'm crazy. I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad. I'm going to vote for this now. Oh my God, now I'm mad about this. I'm going to vote for this now. James Corden is the dude's name from CBS, The Late Late Show. And what made me smile when I stumbled across the, uh, the realest thing that if a night owls talked like morning people, because I just decided to do that a few hours ago, it was from this morning. When I snap with a lot of different Snapchat with a lot of different people just for the fun of it, not because it matters because it doesn't mean anything, but they have streaks that they show you how many days you snapped with somebody. It's just like sending a text or sending whatever. It's just using your phone throughout the day. And a lot of times if I or sometimes whenever when I wake up and my cat's laying there next to me, I'll just reach over, take a snap and send a streak picture to whoever else is, whoever's going to get it. It's probably upwards of 15 people that get it. They're all grown-ass adults, people I've known for many, many years. And uh, asshole Brad Steiner from, I don't even know where the hell he works now, because the station I went and hung out with him at in August has now gone under. So um, I'm sure he works for something even better now. But anyway, he sent me a response back that says, Jesus Christ, you're still in bed? It's 10 a.m. And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I am. What else is there to do? He said, damn it, literally anything. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is just fine with me laying here in my cozy, comfy bed. I'm just fine with that on a Wednesday morning when there is literally nothing else to do except for leave the house and spend money or get up and watch telev- morning programming television. Or I can lay here nice and comfortable and snooze for another few minutes. Excuse the bleep out of me. I'm going to lay right here and I'm not going to be shameful or apologize for it. All right. So let's uh, let's move into this. The midterms next Tuesday. It is going to go very likely the way that most of us believe that it's going to go. I had a few different things here to look at. Um, In the 22 midterm elections, this is from presidency.uscdedu. In the 22 midterm elections from 1934 to 2018, the president's party has averaged a loss of 28 House seats and four Senate seats. Now, the Senate doesn't seem to shift nearly as much. Primarily, that's because only of the third of the Senate is running in each individual two-year cycle. For some lunacy, idiotic reason, we have, and I already know what the reason is. I just think it's... I agree with it in some ways, and I disagree with it in most of it, that the House runs every two years. And the the quick um, layman's, I can barely use my brain, tell you why. It's because the House is the one that is the, the political legislators that are supposed to be that uh, closer to the to the to the public that you you want to be constantly um, relevant, constantly in their world, constantly in their orbit. The Senate is a far more buttoned up, quite literally buttoned up suits of a of six year kind of circulation. 
dummies like Mar Marjorie Trailer Park Green and uh, GED Bimbo Burt out in Colorado. These kind of dummies are on the same level as like I am and many of you and other people you know are. They're just more average people. And so that's the main reason why. But the downside of that is all you're doing is constantly campaigning. You're never actually really doing any work. You're never actually really doing any kind of legislation. You're just voting which however you caucus with and whoever tells you to caucus the way that you do, and then you're constantly fundraising. Is that governmental work? Is that service to the community? Or is that just a nonstop, constant grind of a job and fundraising to push you know, political agendas, whether you agree with them or not? There's that. So I pulled a few graphs just to quickly take a look here. And in 2018, the Republicans lost 40 seats in the midterms. 13 were lost by the Democrats in 2014. One of the biggest in the history uh, of losses was the midterms in 2010. 63 seats lost by the Democrats. Uh, in 2006, that was uh, not nearly as much as that, about half. 30 seats were lost when George W. Bush was uh, president. Only the two times since 1946 that seats were gained were 98 and 2002. Uh, 98 around the time of the Lewinsky stuff. The Democrats picked up five House uh, seats in that midterm. And 2002 would have been shortly after 9-11, clearly. And six seats were picked up in midterms. So those are two kind of tumultuous times in very different ways that might have had something to do with that. And then, of course, in 1994, Newt Gingrich's kind of assault or war against the Dem Democratic Party, which has kind of set the tone for the way politics work current day. I think if you wanted to look backwards and trace where did the vitriol and toxic nature of this disgustingly awful television show really begin, and I would say it was right about that time frame. 1994. Now, lots of numbers swing the other ways going back into the 70s and 80s and 50s, but I don't consider that modern America. I consider 1994 to now modern America, and I think that's really is where you go back and find that, that is, uh, that's where this began. Uh, Senate seats don't fall nearly as much. The Republicans gained two Senate seats in uh, 2018, of course, lost those two during the general in 2020, if I'm remembering that math correctly. In uh, 2014, uh, the uh, the Democrats lost nine. They lost six in uh, 10. In that bad loss in 2006 under George W. Bush, the Senate and the Republicans lost six seats. And then it go too much further back from there in 1994. Same deal. Democrats lost eight seats in the Senate while also losing the 40 seats in the House. Again, that was Newt Gingrich's plan, and it worked out. Beautifully. Uh, let's see. The, the most consequential midterms in history. Again, I don't put a lot of thought into a lot of that, but real quick. Looking back at the 1965 or 66 midterms when LBJ had an approval rating, rating of 70%, yet the Republicans did so well. And how did that happen? Well, one of the biggest political comebacks in history, milk. The price of milk had skyrocketed. Republican candidates brought grocery carts to campaign events and blamed Johnson's welfare programs for the rising food prices and growing inflation. This tactic not only worked, it resulted in one of the biggest losses ever seen in a midterm election and the milk playbook, quote unquote, 
is still being used today. It talks about current day inflation. August prices up 8.3%. The cost of rent, restaurant, uh, restaurants, medical care soaring. And enter the milk playbook. It is no surprise then that the Democrats have gone on the defensive, directing voters' attention towards legislative administrative actions to curb inflation, such as federal gas tax, releasing oil from strategic uh, petroleum reserves, pushing companies uh, to refrain from price gouging and giving Medicare the authority to negotiate drug prices, and then trying to motivate the youth and women for turnout, overturn, row weight, all those things. But just as the milk playbook is a tried and true strategy to rile up voters, there's a new playbook that is being tested for the first time in 22. We could call it the Electoral Integrity Playbook. The big lie, all these things that have happened in the last couple of years, recent surveys found that 70% of Republican voters do not believe that Biden is the legitimately elected president. Candidates also have indicated that they may not be willing to accept the outcome of an election due to the preemptive claims of voter fraud blighting unwritten rules and accepting norms that are essential to a smooth transition of power and a functioning government. Should partisan observers block the process with overblown or bogus claims of irregularities and candidates' refu- refusal to concede, the system could unravel. The U.S. could, once seen as an example of a strong and vibrant, vibrant democracy, may become a playbook for how easy it is to destroy one. And if the seeds of doubt take root and voters lose faith, in the electoral process, we will have much bigger problems in the rising cost of milk. And I want to put a pin in that thought right there, and I plan to come back to it in the third and final segment of the show. But first, I want to play some of this audio from my guy, Keith Overman. And he's not telling me or you or anybody else anything they didn't already know. I just like the way he put it. Back in the day, us younger people would read lots of things on the internet. And the adults in the room we're all, you know, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Oh, well, if it's on the internet, then it must be true, right? Like, those were the kinds of interactions that young people and older people had with there was a disconnect from online, unlimited information distribution. And since the middle of the second decade, maybe even a little earlier of this century, it is just it's exploded. And now all those adults that used to tell young people don't believe everything you read on the internet, believe everything they read on the internet, along with every other numbnut, dullard, and dimwit out there. And it's creating a major problem that's way bigger than just who are we electing to be the next president or Congress or Senate. This is Keith Olbermann talking about um, how many people used to be in the opinion news distribution business and where it has gotten. I have five clips for you. We'll start with the first one where he explains the news, information, and commentary distribution landscape of the last 30 years. In 1973, we had 100 competent people in political TV and 50 jobs. In 1997, we had 100 competent people in political TV and 1,000 jobs. In 2022, we have 100 competent people in political TV and 10,000 jobs. How many streaming networks and feeds and podcasts are there at least claiming to cover the news and the political world? A thousand? Five thousand? Ten thousand? How many people on those networks understand enough, care enough about the impact of their words to know that they might be undermining not only somebody else's freedom now, but ultimately their own freedom later? Now... Overman comes from an old school kind of ego driven 
uh, self-aggrandizing of the the news people. The newsman is one of the most important people. I used to subscribe to this theory. The you know the great men of Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather and just start naming Ted Koppel or all these different names. And was that true? Was that real? Was that you know reality? I'm not really sure in hindsight, but that's the way I used to operate. I think that's the way that most Americans, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe even the early 2000s, at least accepted as reality. I don't know that it was, but I, I understand where he's coming from. And to answer the tail end of that question, of course, nobody who's distributing any of this content cares how you get it, why you get it, or what you do with it. Here is the next one from Keith, just now versus 20 years ago. And lastly, this point about the ubiquity of platforms of opinions. There's nothing actually wrong with that. It's what that causes that matters, that may kill us yet. Think about this. 30 years ago today, if you did not have a job in media and you had an opinion about anything from impeachment to implants and you wanted to make that opinion public, you had two platforms. You could find a call-in show on radio or television, or you could write a letter to somebody in a print medium, maybe a letter to the editor of a newspaper or a magazine. And I swear, 30 years ago, I saw a letter to the editor of a magazine criticizing a previous letter to the editor of that magazine, which itself criticized an article in that magazine that had been published four weeks earlier. Nobody remembered any of it by then. And nothing was recorded and nothing was replayed at nauseum and so on and so forth. Again, not new information here, just a different way, a fun way to discuss it on the days leading up to the midterms. There's an art to getting on the air. There's a there's a there's there's an art to getting published in the letter letter to the editor. Um, I learned it from my dad. My dad used to call into radio shows and write the paper. And I remember him even telling me, like, hey, we got to make sure to save the paper. Don't throw it away because he wants to see if his letter got in the paper that week. And I've been the same way. I've had letters to the editor posted in Spin Magazine. I've had letters posted in the Times Free Press. And I've been on radio shows constantly as a caller and obviously as a host. Keith continues with the same uh, same thoughts for the most part. And even if you availed yourself of writing a letter to the editor or calling in to radio or TV, your opinion had to be, to some degree, thought out and certainly well presented. They asked you first before putting you on the air. They read the letter before printing it. And even then, your odds of getting the letter published or your comment aired were tiny. If a radio call-in show put 40 listeners on the air per day, you would need a thousand radio call-in shows to let just one million people express one opinion once every year. How many opinions have you expressed publicly on some sort of media already today? And how many other people have done that in this country? How many millions? 40 calls in one day is 40 too many. His point's the same, but I don't. Uh, phone calls on radio shows, the bane of my existence. Um, not exactly running out of time, but I was going to skip that. I'll move on to this. His point is, we're all guilty of this. Him, him, especially if you follow Keith Oberman on social media. My goodness, at times it's complete lunacy. He's lost his mind as much as many others have as well. We're all absolutely guilty of this. 
You don't have to tell me. Just think about this. How carefully was your opinion thought out? How certain were you that you had not posted the exact opposite opinion last week or last year? And most importantly, how quickly were you attacked for one of those opinions, first for its argument or its conclusion, and then attacked personally for who you are or who they want to paint you as the moment you are disagreed with and attacked, your adamance, your certainty, your defensiveness about that opinion becomes almost impossible to break. Yep. I have done this. Yep. People don't say, you might be right, or here's where I agree with you and here's where I disagree. They say, well, the obscenities say it for them. And I'm not excluding myself. I have done this. Suddenly, that opinion is the most important thing in the world and the person who has attacked you for having it must be destroyed or at least damaged immediately and then we're just gonna double down on that thought because how dare you question my ideology ideology or my thoughts on this subject it is um and we're all guilty to a certain a certain degree of the cancel culture kind of thing Right, like you might not think you are, but how many times have you thought to yourself or said out loud, "That person should be fired. Somebody should be fired around here." I mean, that goes back generations. That's not just specifically to new age online information distribution cancel culture. I want them fired. Get the manager out here. Get them. I mean, we've been being Karens before we ever made the Karen joke. And the final one here from Keith Oberman: We've all become worse versions of ourselves because of the abundance of the opportunity to be heard. Why do things keep getting worse? Nearly half of us believe we are the victims of conspiracies. Some of us may be the victims of blackmailers. All of us are the victims of a television, video, audio, podcast monolith, literally thousands of times larger than it was just 25 years ago, than it was just 10 years ago, than it was just five years ago. All of those platforms victimize us with people who on average might be one thousandth as skilled as their predecessors and who have erased complex ethical formulas and labyrinthine checks and balances and substituted for them some believe in a middle ground of both sidesism and it's a middle ground that the ubiquitousness of public opinion how twitter and facebook and streaming has turned everybody into not just a political commentator but a political combatant a middle ground that modern america has made extinct why do things keep getting worse the real question may be how on earth have we not already completely destroyed what used to be our society there is no middle ground and when somebody uses that terminology you know that they are lying this sounds a lot like get off my lawn you know that kind of commentary get out you know back in my day kind of stuff but do you disagree with any of it because i certainly don't all I know for sure is, and I've not been wanting to be right or be able to say I told you so, that we're still living in You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, in American wacky world television show politics, the political entertainment industry, you ain't seen nothing yet. Not even kind of. You think the crazy, oh, thank God the crazy is it. The crazy is just starting to, to, to start a small smoldering fire. Hopefully the crazy's over. Hopefully the worst is over. No, no, no. The worst ain't even close to here yet. More incredibly interesting and well thought out, kind of, sort of, maybe half-baked political commentary coming up next.
more of Stone On Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At StoneOnAir.com. Tennessee is also amending their constitution because it says that religious ministers and religious leaders cannot hold public office. This is part of Article 9 of the Tennessee State Constitution. But what's interesting about this is that it would only amend Article 9, Section 1. Section 1 says that ministers can't hold public office, but Section 2 says that atheists can't hold public office. And this amendment would not change Section 2. Article 9, Section 2 of the Tennessee State Constitution says no person who denies the being of God or a future state of rewards and punishments shall hold office in the civil department of this state. There are actually eight states that ban atheists from holding public office. Arkansas, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. Keep on rocking in the free world. I didn't want to think too hard about music today, so I just did Neil Young rocking the free world twice. Keep on rocking in the free world. Just two different versions. Yeah, so that's on the ballot. I'll get to that in a minute. There's four Tennessee constitutional amendments on the ballot this go around. One of the more anti-American songs ever written. Right there with Born in the USA. Both fabulous songs. So, you know, I, I've gone over this, you know, here and there, and I can't remember what I do from one minute to the next, one hour to the next, one day, one week. So I sure as hell can't remember what I have or haven't said or on a recording or a radio show over 20 years. I just cannot remember. But I know most recently in the last two, really two solid years, I have changed in so many ways, It's it'll make a head spin. And most of them are or better versions of myself changes. I, I I like to think that this is one of them. I have quit all of this, like all of it. I don't participate in any of it. Now, I don't mind having a conversation with people who are even like kind of like-minded in the fed up of the, the political entertainment industry. I, it, that in, conversation I'm interested in having e- economic conversations. I'm interested in having, this, the channel I still have every time I turn my TV on, every time I get home, because the first thing I watch and the last thing I watch on live television is CNBC. It's not a news channel as much as it is a money channel, economics. That kind of stuff, I believe, is worth discussing. Policy that has to do with everything other than that, you know, I'll let everybody else chirp about that. When I hear um, my family's gotten a little bit better at this, they're still... Uh, there's still some issues like, Oh, this year's Thanksgiving table is going to be a big argument. No, 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 not, not in my world. I don't allow that to happen. This is not happening here. There's a time and place, understand your room and figure out where you are and know your company. I do not participate with people who do not take that into account. And I understand that's, that's a difficult place to be for a lot of people. Not for me, not for people who know me. I'm, I will not be put into this, the, that environment. It will not happen. And so that's actually a pretty good place to be. But I used to say that politicians are not dumb. Their constituents are. Like I've said that constantly over the years. Many, many, many moons ago, I've apologized for this countless times, when I did some fill-in work for the Village Idiots. Remember the late, great Wally and 
Jim Reynolds at Fraud Radio 102.3 back in like 2010 or something like that, or maybe even further, maybe more like 2007. I had a long time ago. And I did I did a fill-in uh, gig for their show, The Village Idiots, and I was young and barely knew what I was doing, and it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I adamantly said, I just don't think there's really that many racist people. Like, I just don't think there's that many racists. And I got blown the F up from all angles. Now, not the way I would nowadays because social media was only us young people. All there was was a radio show to call into or a letter to the editor or a message board. Going back to last segment, you could get blown up and only hear from like five people as opposed to five trillion people at once. And I don't remember what my exact point is or why I went down that road. I was wrong, wrong, dead ass wrong. And there's more racist around than ever. So I'm completely wrong with the politicians are not dumb, just the constituents are. Oh, that's not true even a little bit. The politicians are just as dumb as their constituents because for some reason, for so many years, I put uh, certain people on pedestals that, that they don't deserve to be on. And a lot of those were lawyers. And as I mentioned many, I have lawyer friends. But as we see, one of the most illegitimate stolen portions of our government, which, which is the hashtag ignore the court, Supreme Court, the extreme court, these people are not capable of being quality minds and uh, independent thinkers either. Just like any other dumb asshole in any other dumb ass industry. We're all flawed. We're all biased. And we're all, uh, our, tend- our tendencies are to go with the agenda that we agree with the most. Whether you're uh, a, a GED Bimbo Bobert out of uh, Colorado, more on her in a minute, or Trailer Park Green, or Barack Obama, or Tim Ryan out of Ohio, which I'm a fan of, by the way. But you see my point. There's no reason to trust any of these people just because they have some kind of tag next to their name or some kind of education uh, level that you don't have. They're not to be trusted any more than your neighbor who takes a day and a half to pull his goddamn garbage cans in after garbage day. There's absolutely nothing honorable about any of these people running for these offices. Now, I want the ones that I like more than the ones I don't like to win since this is a game that we have to play, since this entertainment complex is something that we have to be a part of if we want to somewhat feel like we're connected to the society which we live in. But the uh, whatever clip it was from a few weeks ago where someone was saying that we're sending the most unexceptional people to lead us in all these different phases of government I mean, just a few to name off the top here. John Fetterman running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Herschel Walker, that flag flies forever, the national championship from Georgia in 1980 in Georgia. Marge Trailer Park Green. Lauren Bimbo Burt, I got a GED just a couple of years ago out of Colorado. These are unexceptional people that are in charge of way too much. Don Trump. He's a mumbling maniac. Joe Biden can barely string a sentence together. He's done. He's 78, 79 years old. There's no reason to keep working. Go home. Nancy Pelosi sounds like she's slobbering on herself when she talks. John Fetterman. He had a stroke, yes. But it's all, and and so there's nothing he can do about that clearly, but it's all but eliminated a coherent thought. Herschel Walker is a mental wasteland. 
He's been diagnosed with schizophrenia or multiple personalities or whatever it exactly was. It's in his goddamn book. He'll tell you about it. There's no sanctity here. This is not service. This is not something that deserves honor or respect. These are television programs and actors in place to get the votes they need to secure power and to secure large wealth. Anybody who decides they want to get into the, to this industry, the political entertainment complex, they want to be put in this position under this kind of scrutiny, and now what is turning into this kind of danger, they should be questioned immediately. It should be the first question asked, what the hell do you want to do this for? Not, oh, thank you for your service to the country. What the, f- what are we talking about here? Get out of here, 1950s, post-World War II era. Stop it. Enough. Uh, so, to the ballot currently. I used to think that single-issue voters were bad. I thought they were dumb people. I thought they were, you know, mostly brainless, just rocks tumbling around in their brain and guns, this and global warming, this, you know, that kind of stuff. And I don't know if I think entirely that much different about that at this point or not, because I just don't really care about anybody else and what they do or don't do with their voting thoughts. But I have kind of gotten close to where I am now a one uh, or a single issue voter. And I, I don't that's not entirely true, but it's close. I am done with religion and Christianity and Muslims. I just name them all. Any practice of religion, I'm just done with. Like, I laugh at people who take this stuff seriously. Not really in their face. I'm not really going to truly do it to, you know, and, and try to make somebody look dumb or feel bad. But just from my general thinking, my brain bouncing around, this stuff's nonsense. Nonsense. And if you have any religious practice basis in anything you do as a political figure you're out you're done in my brain now i'm just one i'm just one dumb asshole nobody cares what i think but i'm just telling you i have now shifted to that and especially if you're like old uh lauren uh, bimbo bird out in colorado who is basically just runs on god and guns i you know hate you more than anybody and you know congratulations Lauren, for being a GED graduate from 2020. Yes, high school dropout who got her GED the same year she got elected to Congress in some rural redneck-ass area of Colorado who has a rap sheet longer than anybody you know. So when I look at these amendments on this ballot, I also, any of the ballots have amendments on them, and it's always good to know what they are. And then you drive around and you see people who pay for these billboards that just say, vote no on two, vote yes on three. And it's like, you don't even know what it is because they don't want you to know, but you see it. They know what they're doing. They're not, they're not putting this money into a garbage can or to a shredder and hoping it doesn't do any good for them. They know if they plaster these things all over town and all over the state and all over the South and all over wherever else, that people are going to see it enough that when they go to vote, if they actually do happen to wander into a voting booth at some point, and they're going to say, huh, well, I see here constitutional amendment. I have a, a, a sample ballot that I got from the uh, Hamblin County uh, Electoral Commission, whatever the hell it's called. And the constitutional number two amendment, which I still don't know what it is because it cuts off at the bottom of the page. It ran out on the printer. 
It's the entire length of the goddamn page. This is so long. I have no idea what constitutional amendment number two is. The first amendment is to officially take the wording out of slavery in the Tennessee Constitution. I mean, yeah, that would be nice. Go ahead and do that. I'm going to vote for that. Yes, I think that's probably a good idea. Probably not. Absolutely. Fine. Whatever. Then the other one is, and this one got cut off too. I'll have to look at it. But the one, the only one that matters to me, and I will scream to the rooftops. You heard on the very front end there that I guess section two of this amendment or this article is that atheists are not allowed to run for uh, office in the state of Tennessee. I don't even know how you classify something like that or how you're even able to prove it. I don't care about that part. The small, it is very small, wording on the ballot, Constitutional Amendment number 4, this amendment would delete Article 9, Section 1 of the Tennessee Constitution, which prohibits ministers of the gospel and priests of any denomination from holding a seat in either house of the legislature. Question is, do you want to remove this, yes or no? Vote no on four. Here's my, you know, subliminal mind trick to you here. Forget everything I just said. Just remember, vote no on four. Vote no on constitutional amendment number four in the state of Tennessee on election day, November 8th. Vote no on four. Now, it's noteworthy and interesting and Funny, not haha, that the second article of atheists are not allowed to run for political positions in the legislature, either side of the House in Tennessee. That's not on the chopping block. That's not being asked to be removed. Once upon a time, cooler heads, more statesmen like politicians who were more like founding fathers who were mostly pieces of crap to begin with but still understood the fundamental basis of this republic, put into this wording that nobody who doesn't believe and nobody who is a minister of the gospel and priest can be allowed to hold seat in either branches of the Tennessee government. Now, what was their exact motivation at the time? I'm sure it was far beyond different than what potentially might be the actual motivation today that doesn't change the fact that this wording should be changed. You know why these little things are happening all over the country, the theocratic crazy mentally ill that want God and Christianity to be the law law of the land are slowly, slowly chipping away. And they've been doing the many. And I said a lot of these Republicans or Democrats too, but the overall politicians are not dumb. Just the constituents are some, some, and then I've said I was wrong. All of them are dumb. I was even wrong to say that some of these are very calculated from the way that they're putting circuit court judges all over the country, the way they're chipping away Roe versus Wade, where they're chipping away at different things that are, that are bringing God more back into it. And the dummies of the world like Bobert, Bimbo Bert and uh, trailer park green. They're not even, they're not smart enough to even figure out how to play along. They don't even understand. They don't even know this is happening. But they're happy that it is. They say it out loud. Lauren Boebert said uh, not all that long ago, something along the lines of, I'm tired of all this separation of church and state junk. 
the wordsmith that she is. Vote no on constitutional Tennessee constitutional amendment number four if you would like your law to be decided by people who aren't mentally challenged, believing in angels and at best fables, tall tales, and fairy tales that while might tell a good story to teach a child, do not dictate or decide or shouldn't at least how grown-ass adults live their lives. If you do nothing else I ever ask of you, please vote no on Tennessee Constitution Amendment number four. And pretty much the rest of the ballot here in the state of Tennessee is just going to go the way that it goes. But hey, it looks like Basil Marceau, hi, I'm BasilMarceau.com, uh, is running for governor again. So I, I likely will vote for Basil Marceau. Just a few more highlights here that I got from something. I don't even remember what the hell it was. And I'm just going to read through it and then be done and wrap up the show. Thank you for finding it and sticking with it as you always do. Uh, quote, we are now at a point where changes, charges of fraud and suppression are baked into the turnout models for each party, says Benjamin Ginsburg, co-chair of the election official Legal Defense Network worked under George W. Bush. Republicans charge fraud. Democrats charge suppression. Each side amplifies its position with massive and costly amounts of litigation and messaging. The RNC said it has a multi-million dollar election integrity team. It has hired 37 lawyers in key states, held more than 5,000 training sessions to teach volunteers to look for voter fraud, and filed 73 suits in 20 states. Contesting an election that is clearly lost is, is now where all the incentive structure is, and it is incredibly co corrosive for democracy. And where I look at this and think, where we talk about the value of a dollar, and how it used to be gold-backed, and how what what gives the American dollar its its value, and that's a very complicated, simplified question with a very complicated answer. To me, it's two things: one, the barrel of an oil is sold worldwide by the American dollar. That's part of it, and the other is what is very hard to quantify is Americans' confidence in the value of that dollar. Now that's shrinking a little bit and always has been, probably always will be, but we still all do invest in the market for the most part. I know the Bitcoiners are out there, but the the confidence of Americans in the dollar is what holds it stronger, at least helps. That's the same thing with American democracy. It's not even that real. Like, I mean, it's, it is, but it isn't, but there's still confidence that it's there. And when the confidence disappears, well, the, the semblance of a democracy starts to erode. Just a couple more here and I'm done. U.S. officials are again sounding the alarm that Russia is working to amplify doubts over the integrity of the elections. This is a quote from the White House. No outside cyber activity has ever prevented a registered voter from casting a ballot. Compromise the integrity of any ballot cast or affected the accuracy of voter registered information. If we find out, blah, 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 we'll let you know. And that's all I got. Vote no on four. Do whatever the hell you, you want with your life. And uh, enjoy it. And love yourself. Love your friends. Enjoy this time of year if you can. It's difficult for me. Thanksgiving, though, that's the bright spot of this month. And then we'll just limp on through the end and hopefully have a better 2023. If that's possible, I don't know. I'll check back with you. Well, every week anyway, at, on Thursdays. For the most listened to podcast in the city, thank you so much. See you later. Bye. Keep on rocking in the free world Keep on rocking in the free world
keep on. 